0: Lord and the Rose Podcast, number eight twenty three. Um, what do you do? You have anything on the
1: corkboard? Yeah, I got a couple things. Uh, well, do it. This guy Doug Ellison writes the Independent Shakespeare Company's Griffith Park Free Shakespeare Festival. He doesn't work for them. He's just a big fan. And they're a nonprofit theater company based in L A. Who put out an amazing theater festival in Griffith Park near the old zoo every summer. I've been seeing signs up there when I go hiking with Scout there. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's not your typical Shakespeare. It's fun, flirty, dramatic. The cast is diverse. They come out and chat with people at intermission, and it's totally free. They just ask people to donate whatever they can afford, and this year they're doing Richard III and The Tempest, and the festival runs until September 4th. You can find out more info at i-s-c-l-a or following at indie shakes on twitter and then also i just want to remind people that the nerd melt showroom has fun and cheap shows every night some upcoming shows are actually tonight it would be that evening with brian cook who's the brain behind competitive erotic fan fiction and that's tonight at nine uh, also the chris farron variety show that's supposed to be variety but you know it's his name starts with an f it's way I, to
0: explain the joke
1: i like it uh, that's on August 25th, and that's going to be super fun. He is a musician from Side 1 Dummy Records, and you can find out more info, find out about more shows at NerdMeltLA.com or follow at NerdMelt on Twitter.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Katie Levine of the Nerdist Podcast fame. Uh, do people recognize you from the Nerdist
1: Podcast ever? Sometimes. At Comic-Con or something like that, you they do. follow at
0: KT underscore money?
1: Sometimes on they Twitter. do. do. <laughs> people in your fantasy
0: football league are like, hey, you're on the Nerdist Podcast.
1: Well, most of the people in my fantasy football league are also like comedians and stuff, so they know me. What? Yeah.
0: Who's in this crazy fantasy? Sean football?
1: O'Connor, who's making a show with fucking Blake Griffin.
0: Oh wow! Nate That's Bargetzi, awesome.
1: uh Danny Solomon, bunch of people. Nice. Yeah, it's a fun league. Hmm, this sports times. thing is very interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get involved.
1: I would love to see you play fantasy football.
0: It, I would just. I might as well.
1: Let's just Could do be... a mock draft. I see might what be, what you be do. picking lottery numbers. <laughs>
0: Him, 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 him. Great, done.
1: You're like I don't know. That'd be
0: crazy if if I was. just You just saying. have
1: like you know like 20 tight ends, like your whole team's just tight ends. You, <laughs>
0: what if I did that? <laughs> I don't know. I know that's too many tight ends, but tight I don't ends. know what other. I don't know.
1: Running back, wide receiver.
0: This episode is uh, Summer Ash, who um, you may or may not know. I met her doing Star Talk in New York with Neil deGrasse Tyson. She's a brilliant scientist and educator. Who has a really interesting life story as well? But you know, I I've said I want more interesting scientists and educators on this podcast. Yes, I agree to with that. To spread science education uh, with the platform that we have established, and summer was awesome. So uh, we hit it off when we were doing Star Talk, and I said, What well, if you're ever in LA, you should totally do the Nerds podcast." And a couple months later, she was like, "I'm coming into Los Angeles in July," and I was like, "Let's do it." So uh, she is on. She is at Summer underscore Ash, A-S-H, on Twitter. Uh, But uh, fantastic. So
1: interesting. And so so smart. Oh, my gosh. She's smart.
0: She's smarter than all of us put together. She absolutely is. In this room. Maybe not Scout. Scout uh, does. I'm convinced Scout knows how to talk. She does. And it, it just pretends to be a, do- a dog who is super chill. She's just judging all of us. When we leave, it's us. just doing calculations. And and she's just
1: judging all of us she's all judging the
0: time. At the end. Right now, she can tell that we're talking about her. Right <laughs> now, don't judge her. Eyes went up. Don't don't judge us, please. Oh. When your species takes over the planet, will you please?
1: God, I would love that day. Keep us alive. Oh <laughs> no, That's you like wouldn't. My, yeah, I would because they, they would murder. No, they know I'm their friends. You think that... I think animals know what, that I'm their friend.
0: But they would just... You, but you know what? You would just be a dog servant. Like, you know, then it would be Scout coming in to produce the dog podcast. <laughs> and, and
1: I'm sleeping
0: on a bed in sleeping, the corner. You're sleeping and they'd be like... <laughs> that sounds kind of nice. Is she okay? Yeah, yeah, she's quiet. She doesn't really talk a I whole lot. I kind of
1: want to switch spots with Scout. She can produce this. I'll sleep on It the could
0: happen in the coming dog apocalypse. <laughs> in the dogpocalypse. apocalypse. This is Nurse Podcast number episode number eight twenty-three. Uh, until the dogs take over uh, and overthrow mankind, which I feel like is is happening right under our noses. Because our noses aren't as good as theirs. She
1: definitely has some deviant plan. Look at her.
0: There is very she is plotting and playing it out beautifully. We're on to you. <laughs> we get it. Here's Nurse Podcast, uh, episode number eight twenty-three with Summer Ash.
2: Now entering Nerdist.com.
0: Summer Ash, uh, I met Summer. I met uh, doing Neil Tyson's uh, Star, Is he calling it Star? Star Is it talk, called Star yeah. Talk? Star Talk uh, yeah. on NatGeo.
2: Yeah, Star Talk on NatGeo. Star, Star guess. Talk or on Star Net Talk Geo. TV.
0: Yeah, we did it at the Hayden Planetarium, which was amazing.
2: Yeah, I had no idea that they actually filmed it at the I didn't ground either. floor. Yeah, I with an guy. audience. He and knows the
0: guys. Neil can get. He, he knows. He knows a planetarium oh, Neil, guy. Yeah,
2: pretty much. You know, yeah. yeah. It's pretty much his all, whole office. <laughs>
0: I was. The entire uh, museum. Now, I want to show you a t shirt, Summer. Uh, Yesterday, I wore this shirt at the uh, 4th of July barbecue that we had. I was. Where is it? Where are you? Where are you? Boy, a lot of people. Oh, stop posting your family pictures. I need to get to my t shirt picture. Um, Where are we? Here we go. It's interesting
3: you don't go to your camera roll. You just jump to. Well, because there are a lot of other. Pictures. That's
2: even more. But, yeah, but at least those are your pictures. Dirty. You don't have
3: to look at other people's families. I know. I thought this was going to take. I thought this
0: was going to be right <laughs> my feet. So I'm wearing my uh, "Knowledge is Power" shirt with uh, Sagan, Nye, and Tyson, and my friend April is wearing her "I Love to Fart" shirt uh, right next door. Which I have
2: not seen that.
0: Which I think are. I do think the shirts are closely related. I related them using F equals I A. I don't know if that uh, <laughs> if the science on that absolutely checks out, but I feel like I would love it's to physics. see. I'd love to see these guys in this position with "I love to fart" under there. Do you think <laughs> they would? Do you think they would appreciate that?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think but, Bill would. I think yeah, Neil no, would. I think they would, but I just don't know that they actually like let it be something out there in the world.
0: I don't. I well, I don't. I, I think don't, they
2: would definitely appreciate
0: the idea. Of so I should just make it and send it to them and be like, "Hey guys, I heard you love to fart." How's science?
2: <laughs> What's up?
0: Well, my friend April made that shirt in a mall at one of those kiosks.
2: The yeah, I love to fart one. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: <laughs> the I heart and then to fart. Yeah. Uh, which she made at a, in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. at, a, at a kiosk. I like this shirt. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, it's the... all Doctor Hui. Uh, let's can we talk about Jupiter a little bit?
2: Oh my gosh, yes.
0: This I is a very exciting day for all Jupiter. day yesterday. Right, so you uh, work outreach at Columbia University in the astrophysics department. Is yes. that correct? Yes, uh, among a lot of other things that you do.
2: Exactly,
0: but but at, but as a foundation, you are an astrophysicist. Is that
2: yeah? Accurate? Yes, that's fair to say, and I just science fan in general
0: yes so let's for a second talk about jupiter and what's happening and uh and uh when are we bringing uh Ju- what, are, what would they be when are called? We Going to jupiter when are we going to jupiter when are we when are we going to drop onto the gas giant and <laughs> die quickly
2: well the craziest thing to me is that we still don't actually know if jupiter has a core what? and whether or not even if it there is some sort of ultra dense thing down there if it's solid or liquid Right. So that's one of the things that Juno, the mission that just arrived yesterday, hopes to try and answer because it has instruments that can penetrate more deeply into the cloud layer than we've been able to do before.
0: And how close is it currently?
2: Well, actually on the at this moment, it's sort of flying back away from Jupiter because what it did is it came in like screaming fast. It was like one of the fastest spacecraft ever. Mm-hmm. And it had to slam on the brakes for 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. To drop into, like, this polar orbit. Mm-hmm. So it came in above and it dropped down. And then it inserted itself into, like, this 53-day orbit that they're going to do twice before they come back in tighter. Got it. But they can't come in really tight because Jupiter is, like, a death zone <laughs> with the radiation. <laughs> yeah. So the spacecraft is doing, like, this big um, uh, ecliptic elliptical orbit where it's going through the danger zone and then coming back out on a 14 day is orbit it and then playing going back in and then coming out
0: Kenny Loggins danger zone the entire time I kind of hope it
2: is
3: that would be I amazing. hope
2: that's on the soundtrack in the Michigan control Katie, that
3: is reflecting in our faces
1: so it's phone is also
3: mine's in airplane mode really Mine, proud of that It stopped uh, Katie you know if there's an audio problem just like pantomime you can't like just kidding. Just kidding. No. <laughs> Noted. Uh,
0: all right. I'm in now, and everybody's mode too. No. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Okay. So all good now. No more buzzing. No more buzzing. Okay.
3: I think the listeners would love that little behind-the-scenes moment.
0: I don't know if they would. I don't well, know. If the Listeners want that. one way to find out. Don't put it in. <laughs> put it in. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's Ju- maybe it's Juno trying to contact us. Maybe. And say. Guys, can you please... It's pretty harsh out here. <laughs> can you send an MP3 file of Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins?
2: So I was keeping myself entertained while we were waiting for the confirmation of various parts of this insertion mm-hmm. uh, program of events. And I so I tweeted, basically, this is Juno right now, and it was a a gift from Archer of something something danger zone.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> See, you know what is very exciting to me is that there is a whole generation of scientists and astrophysicists who uh, have a sense of humor and an understanding of pop culture. When do you think when do you think pop culture started merging into into the sciences?
2: I don't know. That's a really good question because the science fiction culture was already always there, but I think it's just this rise of Both science fiction culture, nerd culture, everything with probably all of the social media. Yeah. I would think that people are just getting exposed to all this thing. And so there's more of these shared jokes. Yeah. um, That spread faster. And then...
3: Oh, plus you can embed gifts now in Twitter, which you couldn't do before. Exactly. Like I, I I came
2: late to the gift game, and I am just all about the gifts now.
3: (laughs) uh, Gifts on Twitter were my Juno. Gifts as many gifts as possible. (laughs) The day that arrived, I really celebrated. So you're making up for lost gift time.
2: Yeah. So when Juno, when Juno actually um, finished the burn and was definitely inserted into the orbit, I had a gift from Adventure Time with the um, Princess Awesome think her name is, just going like,
3: we got science! And so what is, so
0: how long is it gonna orbit? Is it, is it, is it gonna do, fly, is it gonna do any moon, moon tracking? No,
2: not right. as much. So Galileo was this mission right. that was from like 95 to 2003, and right. that did a bit more of like a tour of the Jovian system. Right. And it had much more orbital changes to do that, whereas Juno is literally just gonna do this 14 day orbit and sort of make this arc to sweep out a bit more of the planet, so just for two weeks, for a year and a half. Oh, it's so a year and a half. Okay, uh, till February 2018.
0: Excellent.
2: Um, and also, the the woman Heidi Becker was this awesome woman on one of the press conference panels in the morning, and she was saying about the radiation that the spacecraft is getting every time it goes through is the equivalent to one of us getting a hundred million dental X rays.
0: <laughs> and that's not. That's you every do orbit. That. You right. shouldn't do that.
2: Probably not. So what's, Your insurance
0: uh, won't cover that. So what's the what's the material that they have to make this out of to be resistant to that level of radiation? So they, not they, human tissue, right? It's not any type of cyborg? Correct. Okay.
2: Uh, they put all of the instruments into, like, this titanium vault. That's what they actually call it. Oh, wow. Which is kind of cool. But even then, she was saying that the radiation is just going to still bombard the vault and eventually trigger these part, the particles to break down. And so I think both the... The spacecraft's lifetime is limited um, partially from that, just because it's going to degrade.
0: So this is really just a hello mission, like, let's see what it is and get some clearer ideas of what makes Jupiter tick. And then there is there is no Oh, other... no,
2: but it's like the next level from Galileo, because Galileo sort of did that. Um, and actually, in, in reading up before the Juno mission got there, I didn't realize that it's the ninth spacecraft to get there. Oh, wow. So we had... Galileo is the only other one that orbited. Everybody else did a flyby. Like both Pioneers, both Voyagers, Cassini, the Pluto, New Horizons, they all did flybys and took images. So Jupiter's not a stranger. It's just still a freaking mystery.
0: We just still want uh, super, super up close.
2: Yeah, and there's this other theory that Jupiter formed first. And the big, massive, giant planets form first, especially the big, gaseous ones, Mm -hmm. in both our solar system and probably then in other solar systems. And so it's basically trying to also answer solar system formation and evolution questions.
0: And so, so there's just like a shit ton of aliens on it, right? There's just a ton. <laughs> of... They're all through
2: the Great Red Spot, right? <laughs> they're having sibling rivalry. There must issues. be. Yeah, there
0: must be type. There must be some type of. But we don't expect to find. There, there's. We don't expect to find any kind of uh, organic compound
2: there, right? No, but not on Jupiter, but potentially on Europa.
3: On Europa, right? Which, Which is, is also
2: why they're going to kill the spacecraft by throwing it into Jupiter, so that it can't accidentally contaminate Europa.
0: Oh, oh! that's – of course. If, it, if it, it gets full of radiation and then – And then ends hits, up landing. It's, and it's like, oh, well, we just screwed that up. Now yeah. we can't ever – so is Europa the most habitable of the moons?
2: In theory, yeah. I think they think one of the other moons has um, some potential water as well. But Europa's the big one because they think there might be – well, I think it's kind of confirmed that there is some sort of liquid saltwater ocean underneath. And it's just a question of is there yeah. anything else in there?
3: They want to drill down – send something underneath but it takes five years yeah. to get there right yeah.
2: minimum oh man do you see have you seen they have some of these prototypes yeah. where it's almost like they use buoyancy so it's like a rover that they send into the ocean but then it floats so the wheels are upside down on the undersurface of the ice
3: Oh, and then they drive
2: it that way.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. They're, they're testing science, it, in the Arctic.
3: It's yeah. They're testing those things in the Arctic. It's pretty cool. Well,
0: I was just, when we did the uh, when we did Neil's show. Uh, it was so much fun, and uh, and I said, oh, you should come do the. If you're ever in Los Angeles, you should come do the podcast and talk about science. And there was a heavy focus in that episode about women in science. And Mayim Bialik was uh, he had done a remote with my Bialik and we were talking about women in science and 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 uh, neil had um, uh, another researcher come out and you know spout out all these facts about you know the, the, the numbers of women in science and and so yeah i said oh if you ever want to come talk about anything or talk about you know how to get how to because you make science accessible for oh your nails are fucking awesome by the way
2: oh they're jupiter as well actually yeah, they're my that's... minimalist interpretation of jupiter and the galilean moons <laughs> that's really awesome
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what what you you know what the the hurdles are and where we're at and how to make it better
2: that's a lot of answers we have a lot of time (laughs) I think so well the hurdles are to some extent that kids don't get exposure to all the aspects of science at a young age so you get your you know I think I had maybe a solar system unit if that in elementary school the rest of the stuff I was it was Mm self-motivated research um And so I think especially with astronomy, you you get maybe this solar system unit, but then you don't get – most high schools don't have astronomy. Like you just get your basics, like your foundations of physics, bio, geology, chemistry. And there's not enough um, of showing kids how they all connect and how they can also – all of those can be applied to like anything that you can practically think of. You know, like they don't get exposure to like what they can do with those sciences, with that knowledge in the variety of careers that are out there. Marine biology, astronomy. um, I mean, designing cars, designing tires, designing makeup, whatever. I mean, there's science in all of it. And I think that its first step is just sort of getting them to realize that science is everywhere.
0: So how do you how do you accomplish that? Especially you know if a lot of schools have, you know, I, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are a handful of schools that are just a, well, this is the curriculum and we have to follow this and that's what the school board says and well, there's no time to deviate. I mean, obviously, it seems like it's up to each individual teacher to kind of have the skill set to yeah. communicate that to the students or to even know that they could communicate that to the students or do the extra work and not just come in and, you know, punch a clock and then leave when it's done. So how does, yeah. how do you, how does that how does that get helped?
2: Well, it's a challenge because I do think that a lot of the requirements of curriculum boards and school districts really put the burden on the teachers and like there's I totally sympathize that they have no extra energy or time or motivation to really try and augment everything because they're already trying to just get everything that they need to get done. Um, but one of the things that we do at Columbia is we Try and actually target middle schools because um, there's also research that shows that middle school is where kids will turn towards or away science, from science um, and give them – we do sort of like a day in the life of an astronomer just to sort of expose them to this idea that you know maybe you won't have a chance to take an astronomy class in the next couple of years. But here's what you can do with all of the other science that you're going to get exposed to. We use it all the time. We do all this cool stuff. We go to the tops of mountains. Here's how we look at things in the sky. Here's how we send the pictures back. Um, here's what we can learn, um, and really show that it's um, it's a creative process mm-hmm. too. Really showing that um, you got to think outside the box. You got to find fun, new, interesting ways to ask questions and find the answers, um, which always lead to more questions. Well, of course, um, but that's the fun of it. Like you're kind of like this detective. Um, of the universe, trying to figure sh- shit out.
0: Well, specifically now in in our our you know our app based culture, like you could just download Night Sky or something and hold it up and look at this. But yeah. When you do, obviously it's so overwhelming. Yeah, when that's you see what all the I stars. think the problem is. How do you know what to focus? I mean, I always I love the idea yeah. of an app like that because I can go, oh okay, well there's there's this constellation and there's that planet and then I but then it doesn't go any further. I go, oh okay, am I supposed to? What am I supposed to learn about this? So like what, what can people be telling the kids or, or people who are interested in science or astronomy? Like this is, this is what's magical about this or this is what to look for. Or, this is what you – this is something that you could see in this if, yeah. you, knew, if you knew what to search for.
2: Right. Um, I think that's a really good question. It's a really big question. So one of the things I think is that people don't – they want quick answers and then they just want to move on to the next thing. Um, And so I think one of the things that if you just have the night sky and you don't have um, apps or you're not using the app, you don't have telescopes and you don't have a local astronomer is to just go outside and like look up and see how things change like night to night or month to month. Um, Because there's so much information in that. That's how we figured out all of this stuff in the first place was just like, wait, that one's moving around between the stars. So that's something different. So that's, that's a planet. Um, you know, that one's twinkling. This one's orange. This one's blue. What's, what's going on there. Um, so like start yourself down those kind of paths. Um, yeah.
0: What do you guys do at the community? What do you do specifically through Columbia?
2: Oh, so we have, like I said, we do the, we go into schools. Um, sometimes we have schools come to us. Um, but our biggest thing is we have two telescopes on the roof of the building. Um, like observatories, like Mm -hmm. domes. Um, And we do a public lecture and stargazing session every other Friday night. Um, So there's a half-hour talk that's geared towards all audiences, all ages. Everyone should get something out of it. Um, And those talks are given by grad students, postdocs, visiting people, people that have written books, people that have done documentary films. Like We try to get some variety in there. And then um, an hour and a half of stargazing with um, grad student and undergrad student volunteers on the roof. And usually if it's a good clear night, we have four different telescopes going because we have a little open area and we bring out portable ones too.
0: Oh, that's
3: really cool.
2: Um, and then we also have a 3D wall setup up where it's like a 3D projection system and you can put on the old school glasses and have an astronomer sort of play these simulations of – galaxies crashing into each other, the universe evolving, um, just comparing stars' sizes and planet sizes and all that kind of stuff. Is there a holodeck of any type? That's that's the upgrade that we're planning. Okay, good.
3: good. That, so you should wait to come until then. They need a larger endowment. <laughs> they can start building a <laughs> the holodeck. They can start building a holodeck.
2: Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, but the, the, it's great because it's part of the culture of our department. So... I'm like the coordinator of all these things, but the grad students and the undergrads are basically like my – they're the volunteers. Mm -hmm. And they love it because they get to engage with the public and then they get to sort of figure out the best ways to answer these questions and explain their research. Um, And so they really like it. They
3: do star parties up at the Griffith Observatory. I feel like it's every other Thursday. Uh, and it's volunteers that bring out their giant telescopes. Oh, have you been? Them. Yeah, you no, should go. I should they, absolutely, it's totally going they amazing. Have them. Of course, because you can just go like, really see the rings of ones. Saturn Huge and telescopes. all this. You know, look at the. I went when they launched the uh, probe into the moon, just to see if you could see anything. Couldn't see anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ah, damn. But it was a good time. That was you know? a little like. Yep. Yeah. Would you go to if
0: someone if someone said okay? We're going to do a man, we're going to do a, uh, we're going to get people to go to Mars. We're only going to get like eight people. Summer, are you yeah. in? Do you go? Are you, or do you not go?
2: I think I go. Really? Yeah. Even
0: knowing that you may never come back. Yeah. Probably will never come back.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've been obsessed with space, like probably since as long as I can remember. So I used to want to be an astronaut. Uh, preach. That-
3: preach, sister. <laughs> I want to be an astronaut too. Yeah, like hardcore. Did you go to Space Camp? No, he did. I I, I did too. No, I wanted to go to Space Camp. I couldn't go
2: because
3: I just assumed I'd be too fat for everything. So I was like, I probably can't even get a T-shirt my size, you know. So I just skipped it.
2: (laughs) What's that movie? The one with Space um, Camp? No, that definitely though, because I told you that was my origin story. Yes, on Neil Tyson's. I was like, Space Camp and Top Gun came out back to back, and I was like, Yes, yes, in. I'm in, but no, there was the movie with um. With Will Ferrell when he's hearing the narrator in his head, the Woody Allen one. Oh, oh yeah.
3: yeah.
0: yeah. And, um, that wasn't Woody Allen. Though. And that Tony was... Hale. No.
2: Just kidding, sorry. Yeah. And Tony Hale is in it. And, I didn't um, see the movie. They're having a conversation, and Tony uh, he talks about always wanting to go to space camp and that he's too old. And Tony Hale's like, dude, you're never too old for space camp.
3: Yeah, I don't think you're There not. is an adult. There's an, adult, the best space space there's an adult space yeah. camp. There's adult
2: Yeah, there's adult space camp. There's aviation challenge. Yeah. And there's these weekend things. Well, space camp man. was pretty good.
3: Pretty. So
0: at what point did you decide, okay, I'm not going to be an astronaut?
2: Well, I got a rejection letter, so that helps. That that does. Um, But I was pretty much also lying to myself about my eyesight and my asthma. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) All right. Because back then, also, things have changed. They have perfected a lot of the eye surgeries that you can have. Mm -hmm. And before, they had the radial keratotomy where they would do the – radial slices and then it would heal back but the scar tissue would not do well in g-forces
0: got it Mm. and so
2: they still they wouldn't approve it like nasa would get it for you but you couldn't come in with having had it sort of
0: oh shit is that any better that's not better now
2: no now it's better um they do the the laser reshaping where they sort of take off the they open a flap and then they just resurface it and put the flap down.
0: I'm not. I'm not really comfortable with the concept of an eye flap of like <laughs> an the eye, eye being closed yeah. open and then flapped and then and then put back and then, down. Yeah. I'm and not then, into it.
3: No. I have astigmatism on my left eye. That's like really bad. And they couldn't do it before, but now they can do it, and I don't. Still don't want it. I'm just not yeah. comfortable with the term. Well, you're only blind for a second. Like that's too oh, one second too long. It's just one <laughs> second too fucking long.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, just having a laser come out your eye. Yeah. seems a little scary.
3: Coming out of the eye. Now that's a whole other story. (laughs) I'd get that surgery. Yeah. Who wouldn't? (laughs) So uh,
0: back to my previous question, back to the previous question, which which uh, we covered a piece of, which is, you know, reaching out, getting people interested in science, getting, you know, getting more women interested in science. Like, what are some of the major hurdles for that right now?
2: Well, I think it's also seeing – where they can be so when there's things on tv and in the movies and even you know like press conferences nasa press conferences things like that that are these big scientific accomplishments if they see women or you know people of color like just see a spectrum of the type of people that can do these things Mm -hmm. then that's a huge that clears a huge hurdle because if you don't see somebody that looks like you then it's really hard to imagine that that's something that you could do right um And so, and I'm also a big fan of showing the spectrum of like women, you know, because we're not all the same. And so, some people are, you know, really girly and some people are really nerdy and some people are both and then some people are everything in between. And that's all awesome. Like, every scientist should be able to be any kind. Like, there's no one type of scientist, there's no one type of female scientist. Yeah. Um, And so, I really like the fact that if you just get more, women being seen out there or being written about or highlighted or, you know, just get them in front of the kids, then you can really change a lot of people's perceptions. I wonder,
0: it is interesting that, you know, since the advent of visual media, mm-hmm. you know, obviously with storytelling, a lot of characters are one dimensional, <laughs> but people watch that as, Oh, that's a three dimensional thing. It's like they. Very few time, like not everyone, especially if you're a child, has the ability to go, oh, that's just a one dimensional representation representation of that type of a person because that was necessary for this story, and it's that doesn't represent all, but people really do. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess it must be a some sort of an ancient biological thing where it's like, oh, you see your tribe and you see what other people are doing in your tribe, so you copy that. But visual media is an extension of that. Process. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of people don't go, oh, okay, well, that doesn't mean just because that character was in them, it doesn't mean that's every type of character.
2: Yeah, I think that's a hard leap for people to make. But I also think, you know, that can be solved by not having just one show that shows like that particular aspect of science. Right. So that you just have multiple shows that are all having people in all these different careers and all these different levels. Um, that shows the whole spectrum. Like you can have like scientists that are on bones and you can have scientists that are on uh, like the medical examiners on the crime shows. And you can have the physicists and neuroscientists on big bang. And, um, and then there's a lot of other scientists that are in a lot of the, um, I guess like the Marvel shows and the,
3: um, yeah, your shields and your whatnot. Yeah, exactly. Like an
2: agent Carter and those kind of things. So, we're getting there. But then I think the problem sometimes is with each of those shows, there's still one type of person that plays that character, even if they're different scientists in different worlds and universes. Right. Um, but that's the first step, I think, is also just to get more stories of those types of people out what
0: there. What was the Denise Richards Bond character? Christmas Jones? Christmas Jones. She's a nuclear physicist. She was a nuclear physicist. That's is an a, awesome is a char- But is a character like that helpful or not helpful – when you when they when they cast like, Oh, this is one of the hottest people on the planet You know, do 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 other do young people watching that really Identify with that, or they go, "Oh, well, that's a that particular character is a supermodel right. who happens to be a scientist." Is that is that helpful or is it not helpful?
2: I think it depends on how it's written.
3: Well, I think what's not helpful was her acting, but go ahead. <laughs> that too,
2: <laughs> that too. But like, it's also uh, a matter of how they're treated by other characters ah. in in the piece, and especially how they're treated by other male characters. Um, so, an example, and this is not for. Um, women in science but um was it uh pacific rim Mm -hmm. the two scientists are pretty much the comic relief like they're the total typical bumbling
3: right um yeah charlie and
2: And so like that that's they're only shown as being one-dimensional right um and so i remember i loved that movie it was fantastic and i did laugh at those scenes but i was like scientists are more than that
0: but is it but in that context though i mean that they worked because they had to be the comic foil in that you know in that so if if he,
2: possibly i'd have to rewatch it to see if, if that if, was the if, only if he comic made them more foil. like actual yeah.
0: scientists and gave them more dimension does it still work or is it like oh i think no. it can still work yeah
2: absolutely i'm not a screenwriter though so <laughs> maybe it's time <laughs> maybe um yeah what was it But at the say end
3: say? of the day those guys they were right about everything that's true see that's the beauty of a scientist in a movie Like a Brent Spiner in Independence Day, you know?
2: So what was awesome was that um, Interstellar, the women, the crew Mm -hmm. of the spaceship um, was half women, and one of the women was the, Jessica Chastain was the captain.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So I think that is like a good example, that it's just not always women also in the same role of a hierarchy um, in those situations too. What was the...
0: Uh, what were the statistics that were, if you remember, what yeah. were the statistics, the statistics on the show for published papers? Um, he had a... Yeah. A, uh, we can cut this out if you can't remember, because I can't Yeah, remember I can't you. remember. It was, some, it was some... There was some, like, alarming imbalance of, of male published papers versus, you know...
2: Yeah, there's, there's stats on male versus female, and then there's stats on whether or not, uh, if a male's the lead author, the likelihood of a female being another author on the paper versus a female author being the lead author, there's a higher chance then that there will be another, like in, if there's three or more authors.
0: What is the politics behind all of that? Because obviously oh, there's a
2: lot of politics. Of course there is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so that's another, I issue. think most people
0: don't think about it. And just, oh, no, a yeah. research paper got published and they probably don't think too. They probably, yeah, The average person, even if they're interested in reading that, they probably don't even think twice about who wrote it. Why? You know, it's just like, what's the information? Yeah. So, what is the politics behind getting information out into the world?
2: I think it depends on the actual the lab or the research group that's doing the work, because it always depends on the the personality of the person at the top who's running the group. Right. So sometimes it's a matter of who's doing the most legwork. Um so a lot of times if a grad student has like a really substantial project and comes up with some unique results then the PI usually lets the grad student be the lead author. Um but then there's ones there's PIs that don't like that and don't want to be overshadowed and want all a PI? the glory. Sorry, principal investigator. Got it. So that would be like the advisor, the supervisor of the students or the lead of the research group. Got it. Um so there there tends to be politics like that as to like who who did the most work who wrote the most part of the paper and then sometimes you know there's people's work that get gets put in because the work of that paper was built off of that but then they either don't get credit or sometimes they do and it's it's very messy
3: it's like screenwriting
2: (laughs) probably
0: (laughs) but but at what point does something become a generally accepted idea because you know i I'll, I'll read stuff, you know, on the science – I'll read – I have a, a science feed. It's a research publicist says this. Yeah. But other scientists are skeptical. Yeah. And it just feels like, oh, OK, well, you know, the, 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 there are very few, it feels like there are very few things that everyone will agree on. So how do you know – how do you know what is real, what is applicable, what is – you know, the reason I ask about the politics, you know, what uh, is serving a specific – Uh, capitalist function what is serving a more altruistic function how do we know if was there you know pharmaceutical money behind this or was there government money behind this or was this independently funded and how does that factor in right how do you sift through all of it and know what is what is good and what what to believe
2: I think that's a really hard thing to do and I think a lot of the onus is on the people writing about the studies because a lot of times it just says scientists say you know drink five glasses of wine a day (sighs)
0: And then tomorrow, scientists say definitely don't we don't drink do five that. Right, because today.
2: a lot of times these specific studies are always in a very narrow area. Got it. So, and very controlled, not actually very controlled, but just a very narrow scope with a small potential small sample size of people or rats or mm-hmm. whatever they're doing it on. You know, and it's only like okay, drink five glasses a day if you're if you weigh this much, and you have a tail, and you are also in sunlight for ten hours a day or whatever. So,
3: most of those things. How many many glasses?
2: (laughs) Um. So the problem is that. A lot of times the media ends up reporting on every single new study just because they're like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, oh, this, they've used wine or they're talking about chocolate or well, they're talking a, about like, that's the this other is new the app. The demands demands new, oh, shiny. new
0: information every millisecond. Yeah.
2: And so people are just
0: putting sh- as much shit up as possible. Yeah.
2: And that's a problem because I think that then that is serving to confuse people and actually misinform people about how science works. Because science is incremental. You know, just, you just you start on a small little island and then you do an experiment and, like, that allows you to just, like, move a couple feet forward. Right. And then somebody might do another one. You can move a couple feet forward this way and then this way. And um, each tiny little study and each single scientist is just incrementally just inching the field forward. And so you have to, like, amass this huge body of knowledge and experimental evidence in order to make the bigger leaps that come along.
0: What are some of the biggest problems with science in general at the moment?
2: You mean like questions that we're trying to answer?
0: No, I mean problems in terms of, you know, getting everyone on the same page or navigating some of the politics or you know, or government funding or private Government funding
2: is definitely an issue, um, at least uh, in astronomy. I'm not sure. I think actually this past year there was a a decent increase in maybe NASA and NSF funding, but it's always kind of borderline. Um, and I think that's because a lot of the general public who vote for their congressmen, like, don't, and and Congress itself, itself, there's a huge lack of scientists in Congress, or people <laughs> with understanding of science and how it works. And I would
0: be willing to, I would be willing to, to bet that when most people go to vote for their, for whatever politician, they don't go. Yeah. How do they feel about science? I'm sure that's usually not
3: the first thing people think of when they go to the polls. The answer usually is uh, they don't feel great about it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's usually it's
0: going to be one of the things to suffer or get cut.
2: Yeah, yeah. And because of this whole like uh, misunderstanding of how science works, there's this awesome thing that um, AAAS has been doing for the last four years, and they're um, continuing to do it. So there was. I can't remember the original person but somebody decided that they would give out a golden fleece award some congressman decided that they were being fleeced by science and pointed out these scientific experiments and research studies that were funded oh, the by shrimp, the government the shrimp mating shrimp, yeah. uh, shrimp on a treadmill, yeah, shrimp on a treadmill yeah. um things like yeah. this to pub- to say this is, this is absurd this is like why are we paying for this kind of research
0: and because a shrimp on a treadmill is a fucking viral video hit that would get you <laughs>
3: Uh, I forget the reasoning behind that, but it was like very logical. It was very logical.
2: Yeah, it was all about how shrimp, I think, um, we might have to cut this out if I get it wrong. But it was something to do with how shrimp process, like how they get um, oxygen out of the water because they were sort of like a proxy for how the the quality of the water in certain places and right. the, therefore the quality of the ecosystem.
0: So, uh, so someone ba- so this guy basically used was a, trying a, to call out, a logical yeah. fallacy and said, oh, so now we're putting shrimps on treadmills. We got to cut that shit. Exactly. When it was actually yeah. not specifically for that. Yeah.
2: End. So the AAAS, which is the American association for the advancement of science came up with this thing called the golden goose award. And so what they're doing is that they're highlighting, I think at least up to three different research projects Ten years later, because a lot of times it takes a while to see the fruits of this kind of research, because it's a tiny step in a bigger process. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're highlighting three different studies that c- would have been identified as completely absurd under the that um, under the way that like that congressman sure. was looking at things. Sure. And they're saying. You know, you like this, you like this, or this just came out. Like, you know, this is how that got The
0: foundation here. of this was a shrimp on a treadmill. Exactly. So shut
3: yeah. the fuck up about it.
2: So they're doing that, like, um, and then they have an award show now. Like, they're having a little, like, award ceremony in September. That's the fourth year they've done it.
3: Oh, that's adorable. I know, right? <laughs> that's ridiculous. So what? what really you, cool. What else are you working
0: on uh, besides uh, your community outreach? I mean, community- what else are you working on besides outreach at Columbia?
2: Um, Well, so I was at JPL all day yesterday as a freelance science writer. I was um, covering the event for Smithsonian Magazine. Nice. So my piece came out this morning. Congratulations. Very exciting. Um, And that was really cool. That was my first time doing one of those events, like as press. Um, And so it was definitely. A little bit chaotic. Um, always looking around going, should I be writing more? What's going on?
0: <laughs> that guy's been writing his notebook for like an hour. Yeah, but exactly. But it,
2: I mean, it goes depends on your publication. So Smithsonian was cool with just like one piece being published after the fact, whereas a lot of the other publications were like, we need updates every hour. Right. Um, so I'm glad I didn't have that because it was also just super fun to be around there and hang out at JPL. Yeah. Um, so I'm also doing Startorialist.
0: Yes. I've seen the blog. Yeah, yeah, it's the sort of the the nexus of fashion and science.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so another astronomer, Emily Rice, who's an assistant professor at the CUNY Staten Island campus, uh, City University of New York. Mm-hmm. She and I started Startoilist in the fall, late fall of 2013. Um, and it's basically it's Tumblr, but now it's Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and we post, we curate. We don't sell anything, but it's science. An astronomy related fashion, but it's kind of also expanded to home decor, mm-hmm. car decals, nail polish, whatever. Like a red right. lamp. Yeah, yeah.
3: lamps. Be, yeah.
2: Lamps. Uh, uh you, tents.
3: Got a, you got a Jupiter pillow
0: in
2: there somewhere? There is a Jupiter pillow. Nice. Um and it's way too much fun. But we also in one one aspect was just totally selfish because we love this stuff and we wanted to like create a repository for it and share it with other people. But then there's such a big fad of having galaxy images printed on things yep. that we also try and we've gotten really good at identifying source images when the people don't say. Uh-huh. We're like, oh, that's NGC 290. <laughs> um, Emily's even better than I am. But yeah, we're that geeky. And, and then like adding, you know, on the blog post, like a little bit more information about oh. like, why this area of the sky is so cool and when that picture was taken and what telescope took it and what else is going on there.
0: That's fantastic.
2: So, sneaking in the science. So, a
0: little bit of attribution with a little more, with a little ah, science, science suckers.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's going to be our new tag on our <laughs> posts. I like that.
0: <laughs> and then I also read that you're drifting more into some of the life sciences as well. Is that true?
2: Oh, with some personal experience. Yes. I am. Yeah. Uh, I Let's see. On the 18th of July, so like in a week and a half, it's my fourth anniversary since open heart surgery oh my god oh, we did talk about this a bit uh, yeah this I, is I, I, why i'm a superhero during right
3: the
0: commercial break <laughs> of neil's
3: show we did talk about the uh, my bionic heartbeat yeah yeah uh yeah. You
2: know, like yeah captain
3: picard captain picard is a bionic heart too did you know that i did not he does he How has did a I miss fake that? heart because he got stabbed by a nosican in starfleet academy don't worry about it it's a no great but episode. this is
2: like a whole new it's
3: called tapestry okay watch it
2: i will check that out
3: See, Matt's
0: doing what you do with those images. He's giving you I'm sourcing your nine more pieces of information. History of than you science and fake hearts. I love it. So, four anniversary of open heart surgery.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't recommend it.
3: All, All right. right. Well, off the list. We were off, right. <laughs> we were off <laughs> next week, and we were both talking about doing. Yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. We're just going to go grab some open heart surgeries.
0: <laughs> so, what did you have a heart attack, or did you have a congenital defect that they said we need to operate on? This?
2: Yeah, I had a congenital heart defect. I had um. There's a the aortic valve, which is where all the blood gets pumped out to the rest of the body after it's been oxygenated and everything. And it's normally, people normally have like three leaflets and I had two. Oh. So it's bicuspid aortic valve instead of tricuspid. Mm-hmm. And actually 1% of the population gets it.
3: Oh, wow. So That's when I found huge. that out, I was
2: like, I am the 1%. <laughs> <laughs> Why is Bernie Sanders so mad at me? <laughs> and... But it can take a variety of routes. It, uh, you can have a lot of different outcomes. So some people have it their whole life and no problems whatsoever. Some people have it and the valve stiffens and calcifies faster over time just because of the calcium in your blood. Like that happens to all of us. But some people, it's a problem sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And they get valve replacements. But then the other thing is that when when the – um when the fetus is forming the embryonic tissues, the cells that code for the valve also code for the base of your aorta. Mm. And sometimes if you have the defect, you also get less elastin protein in your aorta. Okay. So then it's more prone to stretching out. Um, and the one thing I, the big thing I learned is that an aneurysm is not the, the exploding of a vessel. It's actually just the ballooning out. So that's what I had an aortic aneurysm. So my aorta was stretched out mm. five centimeters in diameter, and it should have been two.
0: And did you that was something that happened one day where you said, "Oh, I don't feel right."
2: No, it was something that happened one day where a doctor said, "This is what's inside you." Did you feel But you have no sensation of it because it's asymptomatic.
0: And so you, you didn't notice anything about you know get walking upstairs? No nope. oh, I'm sure it doesn't breath.
2: affect you whatsoever. Um so it was a rude awakening kind of thing. I was like, uh what? Excuse me? Uh I actually got an email. So I saw a cardiologist in Upstate New York um at a smaller hospital and she was the one who did the original tests and she literally emailed me and she was like, "Don't panic, but I think you should see a heart surgeon." Oh boy. <laughs> I was like, "Okay." Um so that was um in March of 2012 and in July I was on the operating table.
0: Oh. And did they give He's you nuts. any? It's like, well, if you don't do this, you might be okay. Or did they say, if you don't do
2: this, my surgeon said I can't give you a number or a date. He's like, but in the next like two to three years, it could blow, and you'd just drop dead because it's your main blood vessel. So if you if it ruptures, you bleed out, and unless you're already on an operating table, you don't have very good chances.
0: So at that point, it doesn't. Really, you don't even. He doesn't need to give you a date like two
3: two or three years. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Dad.
2: He was like, I just, you know, say, look at your schedule, find some time. <laughs> Did
3: you just say I'm gonna take my chances, Doc? Let <laughs> a cigarette, put on sunglasses, and ride out of there <laughs> in your motorcycle, which I assume you rode into the hospital.
2: <laughs> Naturally. Uh, no, it was really weird because I don't think um I basically just went into like scientist mode. Yeah. And that's pretty much how I like I used science as a coping mechanism and I pretty much approached it as a scientist and I was like, okay. We're doing this. so
3: Did they add a third what flap? What did they do?
2: No, they cut out a four-inch section. So the whole base of my aorta, they took it out. That was the stretch-out uh-huh. part. And they replaced it with a Dacron graft. So it's a synthetic tube.
1: <coughs>
0: oh,
2: my God. So I have four inches of synthetic tube. Wow. What about the –
0: did they add a third flap?
2: They didn't. He said uh, it's better – he just said he tweaked it a little bit to make it more efficient. But they don't normally like –
0: Also, I gave you rims. What? Yeah,
2: exactly. Pimp my heart. Pimp my heart. (laughs)
0: That would be (laughs) that would be an amazing show. So while we were in there, we added a lightning bolt down the side.
2: Yeah, they have those like cauterizing things. (laughs) We branded your heart.
0: (laughs) More bass absorption, so you really you can really thump. you know when you're at red lights.
2: That's what I have actually. I have the bass. But my heart absolutely, really that's does. Absolutely, now.
0: what it does. So getting so in March, you know that you're going to be doing this in July. What are the kind of mental preparations? So you're you're looking at science. I'm sure yeah. you're doing as much research as possible. Yeah, is too. This might be a bad. This might be a dumb question. Is
2: too much information a bad idea? <laughs> for me, I don't think it was. But basically, what I did is I started a blog. Hmm. Um, and originally, it was kind of for. Also for friends and family to basically just be able to inform people all at once. But I wanted a format that would allow them to talk back to me versus like they have those, you know, bridge sites or whatever for people that are um, going undergoing medical things. And it's very much a site just for disseminating information. Right. And like a guest book that people can sign and just say, we're thinking of you, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I wanted a bit more like interaction. And I also knew that I was going to use it for – Not only just like journal entry type things to tell people what was happening, but also like cool shit I found out.
0: Did you at any point – did you become – or were you – did you get kind of spiritual at any point or it was just all science? It was
2: all science, which I think was the only way I could have dealt with it at the time. But it kind of came back to bite me in the ass afterwards because I didn't realize that I hadn't processed the emotional aspect until like a year later.
0: Because you couldn't, you were almost. Yeah, I you, think
2: I couldn't. I just psh, closed the door.
0: You had you had to to survive. Yeah, but that's the that's the fucked up thing about the emotion stuff <laughs> yeah. is that it's there. Yeah. and it's gonna come back out yeah. sooner or later.
2: And just because, like, I knew I had hard days and I knew I cried at various times, I thought, like, oh yeah, I dealt with emotion.
0: Right. And then it's like, no, you didn't. Really. What would you do differently?
2: I don't know that I could do anything differently. The only thing I think is maybe. And what I still want to do is try to find more people my age with this surgery.
0: Which is what? Your age? Right? Like yeah. Around.
2: But, uh, but uh, oh, 40. Okay. Um, because, and so I was 36 when I had this, but all of the like Facebook groups and the cardiac rehab that I went to were all filled with older people who mostly had heart attacks. Right. Which is a completely different thing. Right. And a completely different health problem and so and i just feel like you deal with all these things differently at different ages um and especially like for me the biggest thing when the emotional af- aftermath was also because because it's asymptomatic i didn't feel bad i went into a hospital i felt way worse than i've ever felt in my whole life and it sure. was like do you really have to do that like right. and so it was this questioning of like why did i let my body get ripped open <laughs> right even though my science brain, my rational brain, like, totally knew it was necessary.
0: And do you still feel that way? Do you still feel like it was the yeah, right I'm thing
2: s- to do? Oh, it was definitely still the right thing to do, but I'm still trying to reconcile that.
0: Mm. Like, Since I still we, haven't done gotta that. you got to start the subreddit,
3: r slash two flaps. It already exists and it's not what you think. Okay.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> it. Damn it.
3: Of course it does.
0: Damn it.
2: Um, but I do uh, – the scientists in me got uh, – Uh, an OR nurse I talked to an OR nurse beforehand because I asked my surgeon like can I talk to an anesthesiologist can I talk to an OR nurse can I like see a surgery all this stuff Um, and he was pretty cool about a lot of things and so I talked to an OR nurse and he switched on to my surgery as a result and then he I brought my iPhone into the operating room and he took pictures during my surgery of my
3: open chest cavity. Did you look at those right away, or did it take? Some time?
2: I did actually. No, because I, like I said, the emotional part. Like I was just like,
3: if you ever this is awesome. run into surgeons in life, like my friend Ross's wife is a trauma surgeon. The photos on their iPhones are <laughs> amazing. The bad news is uh, we dropped your phone in your heart. <laughs> so,
0: um, your heart is uh, good. The good news is your heart has a data plan
2: now. <laughs> We can always find you. <laughs> that's right. That, that would actually that would absolutely be the, there she is. Oh, she's a
0: little blue dot right? the, oh,
2: she just moved. Yeah. She moved three blocks. Right. She's uh, doing her walking, so that's good.
0: <laughs> so what do you – how are you emotionally preparing though for this at all? I mean is it – you? you in, in the months and days leading yeah. up to it?
2: Like I said, I don't – I think I just kind of ignored all that. I didn't even realize what I needed to do. I was sort of trying to like logistically plan it all. Cause I, so I'm an only child and then I have a single parent, just my mom. Luckily, she was totally able to come for the entire thing. Um, but it was basically just the two of us trying to figure out like all the different things. Like I, I had to rent, um, uh, I recovered at my godparents' apartment, not mine, because mine's a third story walk up, which yeah. would not be good. And then I rented a medical lift chair, like the old, people have with the Those little button great. that Those stands right. Yep. It's the best thing in the world. <laughs> and I couldn't sleep on, like, I slept in the chair for two months because mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep on my back. It couldn't open my chest. Oh, my God. Um, and then, you know, sort of arranging for people to come visit and bring food and, like, give my mom a break and all this stuff. So it was like, just, I just, I'm a type A. I just went into organizational mode.
0: What's the last thing you remember before you went on under and then the first thing that you remember coming back?
2: So hilariously... This is what I think also they shouldn't do for the emotional aftermath purposes. I walked myself into the OR and climbed on the table. Oh, my God. That's what, because I had no effect of my quality of life. And I'm la- looking back, I'm like, they really shouldn't have done that because that kind of messes you up a little bit.
3: Did you just say, don't fuck this up?
2: <laughs> well, what they did let me do is they let me um, put music on my iPhone. Mm-hmm. So I had... Um, uh, Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff playing Summertime. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> as I lay down. And then they pu- started putting in all the IVs. And so then I, I went to, I passed out pretty quickly, I think. And then the first thing I remember waking up, that I just basically was like, fuck. This is the most pain I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, and I was, literally, my first thought was, can we go back to eight hours ago?
0: And was it, was that how long the surgery was? Eight hours?
2: Um, no, I think that was like when I woke up. Oh, right. So the surgery was maybe, I think like I was in the OR like five hours and the surgery was like three. I was on the heart lung bypass for like three hours, I think. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: So, so is, it, it was the pain radiating from the center of your body or it was just everything?
2: Um, I think it came from the center of the body, but it felt like everything for sure. Just cause that's like, it's a full sternotomy. So it literally mm-hmm. cut the entire sternum. Sorry. No, it's fine. No. Uh, And so anything, everything pulls on that. It's just like your core. So moving your arm, moving your legs, moving your head, like everything pulls on that, especially when it's been like
3: separated. How long was your in-hospital recovery? How long were you in the hospital for?
2: Five and a half days, I think.
3: Yeah.
2: So there's this mix at the end because I was like, I need to get out of here. But at the same time, I was like, but can all of you nurses come with me? Because yeah. I don't Private want to be that far from not you. That days sound like a lot. I know, right? Time. Yeah, but you don't want to stay in the hospital because, like, that's where you get other infections, staff infections, all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for the most part, it was good. The ICU—they kind of mismanaged my pain, so there was also like that kind of whole trauma. My whole first night was just the worst. Oh my god! Until I got a little pump
3: mm-hmm.
2: of uh, dilaudid. I had dilaudid on okay, demand. Right.
0: did that and that made it that made the pain go away
2: yeah and then i got to a point where i was making shit up like i would have i would see something in my head that was happening and i thought it was real and i would start talking as if that was happening in the room around me and my mom would just look at me and i was like am i making shit up again she's like yeah so what
0: did time feel like
2: it felt really slow really slow like i felt like i was in the hospital for a long time Just because, I mean, I'm basically alternating just between being awake and sleeping. Right. But, yeah, it just felt like the days were a lot longer. And just moving slow because I moved slow. Mm. And so it didn't really feel like things around me were moving fast either because I wasn't – I was on a special cardiac rehab floor, so everybody was in cardiac rehab.
0: Right. And then how long did it take before you woke up and said,
2: oh, I – I think i actually start to
0: feel normal again
2: oh like a year it was a year yeah because um, it took so much it basically i had an entire year where i focused on only my physical recovery and even up until like almost a year i would exert myself and then the hole that i fell in was like not proportional to how much I exerted mm-hmm. myself. Sure. It would always be, feel so much bigger. So it took like a year for that to feel like it was proportional again.
0: But how about how long did it take before you could walk around? and?
2: So they make you walk from minute one, practically. What? Yeah. So the first day, they're like, you're going to stand up and sit in that chair. And I was like, no, I'm not. And they're you like, yeah, there you are. So they gonna... just get you yeah. the heart pumping and everything circulating again. So that's like your biggest assignment every day is walk. Whether it's really slow, really fast, whatever. I am, um, uh, my godparents' apartment was on Park Avenue, sorry, on 79th between Lex and Park. And it, there's a five degree slope,
3: and I yeah. couldn't do it. My brother in law lives on 77th. Okay. Between there. Yeah, I yeah. know exactly what you're talking so about. So from yeah. Lex
2: to Park, there was a five degree slope. Could not do it for the, I mean, well, the first couple, the first whole week, I wasn't actually even out on the street. I was just doing laps brutal. in the lobby. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> Three times a day.
3: Oh
2: no! <laughs> yeah.
0: And are you able to eat
2: at this point, or? Yeah, actually, I had um, Shake Shack the first night I got back to the apartment. <laughs> but in the hospital, in the hospital, all I really wanted was the ice chips. Like ice chips
3: were the best thing in the oh, entire freaking world. What about? Did you have the sponge stick? Yeah, I oh, have a sponge had a, stick. Oh my god! Yeah. Thing. What's a sponge stick? For? It's just a sponge where you dip it it's in just water, water just to but... get moisture into your fucking body. Oh, you just rub yourself uh, with the sponge? No, 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 it's just you your mouth. mouth. Oh, you just eat you yeah. Suck yeah, on the sponge suck stick. They stick would on do that it's in the somehow um, the most delicious thing it's ever. A
2: sponge lollipop.
3: <laughs> it's just <a> sponge.
0: <laughs> That's a great idea. Why is that not a thing you can just buy in the store like
3: a sponge pop? <laughs> it's where? literally just a sponge on a stick. Doesn't matter. I think spo- you can make one. You could just make one.
2: Yeah, we can have. It. Let's go make an Etsy shop. We get
3: one for you.
0: It's like you could just
3: if you if you could find a delicious sponge. Were they flavored? I think that sounds like problem number one. They might have been like a lemon flavor. Well, I I now know that you're saying, saying that, you just told me, so I have no idea. I have
2: no idea if there was flavor in mine, but basically, I couldn't eat. I couldn't have water mm. for a while. So, mm-hmm.
0: how did you? How did you? You know, dealing with work and dealing with everything. How did? How did you approach all of that, knowing that you were going to lose this chunk of time in your life?
2: Yeah. Well, actually, Columbia was really understanding and flexible about it. Um, Because, you know, in academia, it's less of punching a time card. It's really just trying to get stuff done. But my boss was so, so understanding. And he basically just said, you know, do what you got to do and come back when you need to or when you're ready. So um, I think before Christmas, I managed to come back like two days a week. Mm -hmm. I was doing rehab Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. And then after Christmas, I came back like four days a week and I would take Wednesday off in the middle. So I'd have two days and a break and two days and a break. And I did that for most of the spring, and then I was kind of back.
0: And was your recovery pretty, like on point the whole time? Like oh, everything's good, everything's
2: fine. Everything's I think it is from like a doctor's standpoint. But what I wasn't prepared for, also being a overachiever, and um, is that there's so much up and down, and like one step forward, like three steps back. Right. And it was more like, well, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. Why it was not a straight shot, right? So I wasn't prepared for that and like that frustrated me because I'm also a perfectionist, like all this other stuff that ah. I didn't expect.
0: So what did you learn really from hard. that being Patience.
2: all type A? Patience. And basically my new motto is it is what it is.
3: Wow, oh, that's Bill Belichick's motto too. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a sports person. <laughs> yeah, sure is. Um, uh,
2: yeah. It just really taught me to be patient because every time I thought I was like I'd cleared another hurdle or something or like made it to the next like plateau. I would, like, backslide. Um, and, you know, not the same amount every time. And it's all like that playing a video fight. game,
3: forgetting to save. There you go. <laughs> it's like, fuck. That was my life. Forgot to save. Yeah. Or, there's, or you don't get to
0: the save point. It's like yeah. you have to get to the save point. Yeah. You can't just save whatever you want.
2: Yeah. It was kind of like that. So it was just a lot of ups and downs, and it was just really frustrating. But I don't know that it could have been done any different, because we had this conversation with my um, cardiologist where there's all these... Other side effects, like I was getting acid reflux and, you know, like hiccups hurt or like I got a nausea spell trying to get off the pain pill cycle. And and he was like, you know, yeah, these things happen. And my mom was like, well, if they happen, why didn't you tell us? And he's like, because there's like 5000 things that could happen. And it probably doesn't help you if I tell you all 5,000 because you're not going to experience all 5,000. (laughs) But you
3: think you'll experience 4,000 of them.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, I "I think it works better if you just tell me what what you feel and what you encounter and then we can deal with it.
3: So
0: how did the the PTSD manifest?
2: That is what kind of kicked in like a year and a half later. So I had this great year of physical healing and then I had like six months where I felt like I was literally superwoman because I had had a whole year of just physically – getting back my health mm-hmm. um it's almost like you po- do a pause on life and like have a whole year of physical working physically and not having anything else stress you out so i was like woohoo! you know i can do everything and i was running and i was doing like I was just like doing all these activity, doing all the things and then uh the winter always is you know darker and everything so then it just sort of like hit me all of a sudden and i was just like then the heartbeat started getting to me. So the heartbeat was extra strong from day one, but it was less noticeable and less of a thing because I kept thinking it's going to go away. It's going to go away. The doctors kept thinking it would subside and it never did. And so it was kind of this cumulative thing of having that be this problem for a year and a half that finally my body was like, okay, now you're freaking us out. Like, why is this still here? Is it still it's a constant reminder?
0: Does it still beat that strong?
2: Yeah. Like if this, well, this table is pretty sturdy, but if we had a less sturdy table, like my coffee would be. Really? Yeah.
0: And they don't know why?
2: Nope. Nobody knows why.
3: At least we know it's working.
2: That's pretty much what they say. And I'm like, yeah, but you try living with this 24-7.
0: So how do you cope with that?
2: Uh, For a while, I was not. um, But I started doing biofeedback breathing which helps. Um, there's a, I think there's multiple types of biofeedback, but it's basically like doing something where you can see readouts of processes in your body, and then you can do breathing exercises and see how the, those the, readouts change. Right. And that's creating a, you know, a loop in your subconscious brain that you know how to enact that change mm-hmm. when you don't have the hookup anymore. Right. So it's a heart rate variability one where it would show my heart rate and my respiratory rate. And when they kind of get in sync, then you're strengthening like your um parasympathetic nervous system mm-hmm. so the sympathetic is the fight or flight and the parasympathetic is like whoa guys calm down and so the point is not to keep the fight or flight from doing its thing because you want it to be able to freak out and know when danger is but it's like strengthening the ability of the other one to recognize this is not a real one so rein it in
0: so uh- what would you say to people who are about to undergo a, a major surgery or something that they know is going to keep them down for a while?
2: Yeah. See, that's tough because I feel like I sympathize with what my doctor said about, it. you don't want to like say like all of the shit that could happen to you. Right. Um, so there really is no way to do it other than to go through it and then see what happens. But I think, uh, I think it's also important to just allow them or, let them know that things will be difficult and things will be hard, and that's okay. Um, you just got to take it as it comes, and you can't you can't impose these milestones uh, on your body. Your body's going to do what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as long as you don't have the personality that's going to really run up against that, right? Yeah. So, like, be forewarned if you have that personality, we're just going to be like,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, because a lot of You know, especially if someone is uh, kind of a control freak, or you know, and and, but then and then not having control, like how do you how do you surrender that control when you know your brain is like must control things, can't control things exactly.
2: And then the other thing is, I mean, there are groups like there's a guy that created this book like heart heart valve surgery for patients. So, but it's kind of like heart valve surgery for dummies. But he created a website and there was journals, like people could, a forum essentially. Um, And then there were like, there's Facebook groups for heart valve surgery patients. Um, And those helped at certain points. Um, Because sometimes those groups were spread out enough. The people, the spectrum of people in them was enough that there would at least be some people that were younger, even if the surgery wasn't the same. But they, at least people were going through similar things.
0: Do you have an addictive personality? I don't think so okay she got off the pain meds i think she's well that's it. the thing yeah, yeah. i'm wondering i'm wondering how people with addiction yeah you know you can't i feel like i mean i'm not really understanding what all of the available uh drug drugs are i don't know you obviously would have to do some type of pain medication schedule if your sternum has been cracked open right so how do you you know how, how i wonder how that what that process is like for people
2: yeah i don't know for me it was really interesting because you know i used to watch house all the time and my experience with pain medication was like i have no idea how you can pop those pills because these things are messing me up and i hate them right um so i i didn't know how people got addicted to them because they were really like i had a lot of nausea and i just like did not like being on them whatsoever
0: well i think when people do get addicted to those because i've heard uh you know people when they when they build up like an opiate tolerance mm-hmm. or they build up like a tolerance to like vicodin Sure. You know, they'll it's like, "Oh yeah, they took like 50 a day." I mean, I've heard Oh, right. I've heard of there's one specific actor that I heard about. I'm not going to say his name because that <laughs> wouldn't be nice. But um when he was kind of at the height of his vicodin addiction, it was it was like 50 a day. It's like the tolerance just builds up and builds wow. up and builds up and then Yeah. and then and then it flips and it's like oh they need that to just feel normal so you know when house was just eating like tic tacs yeah that's true that was just he was already at that threshold he was already at that threshold to just uh, you know stay at that you know median level of houseness
2: yeah i mean i definitely at one point my cardiologist wanted me to like start rashing down and i i tried and i was like no because the pain was still there right um but i think that that was real not not in my head.
0: Well, the fact that you're not still taking them is probably a good <laughs> sign that you, were, that you were right about that. Yeah.
2: But there's a guy, um, and I can't remember now what his uh, profession is, but Seth Moonkin, he's on Twitter and he's a science writer. And he wrote a recent article where he had to go in for a surgery. And he tried everything to put in place in the heads of everybody that was going to see him on the hospital side that he had a previous addiction. So he wanted to make sure that he was that, – that was taken into account with his pain medication, and he said it was the most frustrating thing ever because they all, like, disregarded him, and then, of course, he had a problem getting off of them again. Um, But it was, yeah, it was just really illuminating. I mean, I think overall, like, one of the other really big lessons I learned is that, you know, hospitals are, like, machines, and so it's really hard to feel like you're somebody is consistently aware of you and your particular path through their
0: do you do you feel like the the sort of the infrastructure of a hospital which i assume is largely litigation defense and dealing with insurance do you think that that kind of makes them a little less human in a way because they have to like well if we do it this way we're gonna get sued so we gotta or do you think it's a funding issue what do you think is the problem
2: um, I don't know. I think I, for me, it was more that um, multiple people would come that were involved in a team, but nobody, every time they came in the room, said, I'm working on this team. Answer all these questions for me. Mm-hmm. They just walk in and start asking questions. And I literally, when I was coherent enough, I would be like, stop. What's your name? <laughs> Who, which doctor are you working with? Oh, I don't work here. Yeah. What? Because I, you know, my surgeon didn't tell me, like, I have this team of residents and here are their names and they're going to be checking on you. And I, the cardiologist has this team of residents, you know, like nobody laid that out. And so it was unclear to me when somebody came in I was like, well, I just told so-and-so. Um, and then they're like, oh, I don't work with so-and-so. I'm like, well, you should, because you're all talking to me. Well, the fucking last thing you need to
0: be dealing with when you've just had major surgery is like weird hospital bureaucracy. Yeah, exactly. You guys fucking figure it out. Yeah, I'm exactly. I'm done not talking not for the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for literally, I'm literally done talking, talking for the, the day. day. I cannot talk anymore today.
2: That actually happened. I mean, also because of the, the sternum, like when I was recovering and people would come visit, I could talk like 10 minutes and then I'd be like done because it was just, I couldn't take deep breaths. Oh, Jesus. So how I remember you- the first day that I opened the refrigerator door. I remember the first day I touched the back of my head. And <laughs> I remember the first day I picked something up off the floor. Like- those were milestones.
0: Uh, absolutely. And but but those I would imagine are. So what does that do to you mentally when that become you know, when previously your milestone or probably career achievements or whatever. <laughs> right. And now your milestone is like opening the refrigerator door. And, yeah. And tying your shoe or going to the bathroom yeah. alone. Like yeah. what 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 does that do?
2: At the time they were celebratory. Um, I think in retrospect or like as time went on, then it was more just when am I going to be able to do this again? Right. When am I going to be able to do that again? the biggest one was actually just when am I going to be able to be able to crawl and curl up in a bed? Cause like the most comforting thing ever is getting around lots of pillows with the, in the fetal position. Mm-hmm, and I yeah. couldn't do that for like three and a half months. So I just stare at the bed and be <laughs> like,
3: oh, I want to be in you.
2: Oh, no. And then I go back to my chair.
0: And then ultimately, what did you take away from the whole experience besides what was it? Uh, it is what it is. It is
2: what it is. Um, Well, this is another one. Um, The tattoo? Yeah. It says, um, I can't go on. I'll go on. (laughs) Like that was... It's actually a line from a Beckett play. So like one of the last lines, the untouchables, I think. Or the unnameables. Um, But like that's how I felt. I felt like I had to express I can't go on. But it wasn't that I wouldn't go on. Right. Like so it's just like I had to express the frustration and the exhaustion and then regroup and take the next step
0: is and where's the blog that you wrote it's
2: called defective heart girl problems (laughs) because it was a good hashtag
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing and did did you when did you stop updating it
2: i still update it You still updated yeah it's a little bit sparser but I, i i still haven't posted about the biofeedback but i posted about the ptsd and the trauma and then um I posted about because one of the things that would happen, like I put made a post last year when Hubble had its 25th anniversary, mm-hmm. because as an astronomer, I'm like Hubble's, Hubble's my guy. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't. Are you a Hubble honey? I'm a Hubble hugger. A Hubble hugger. Yeah. Hubble got you. Do you remember those? <laughs> no. <gasps> that was the best segment ever on Jimmy Fallon before he switched over.
3: Oh no, we don't remember those. He had. <laughs> <laughs>
2: He had this guy play Milky Jay who was uh, like full Yankees uniform and he would – Jimmy would give some like space news and he would be like, whoa, 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 Jimmy. <laughs> <I don't laughs> and he had all these um, pictures of Nebula and he's like, you need a picture of a galactic center? Hubble got you. And then he slammed it down. It was the best. Like I, I wanted to meet him. I wanted to be him. Anyway. So, yeah, Hubble got you is also one of my favorite hashtags. Um, and I really wanted to participate like, in the events because there were going to be events down at um, the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore where Hubble is managed from.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I had actually been at the original Hubble launch when I was a kid,
3: yeah. when it
2: launched in the space shuttle. And then I was at the last space shuttle launch that went to Hubble to repair it, the big repair mission. Mike Massimino. Mike Massimino when he broke the handle Ripped
3: off. Ripped the handle off. Yeah. The bolt was
0: stripped. It's pretty fucking awesome. Former podcast guest, Mike Massimino, mm-hmm. making
3: shit happen. Isn't he the coolest? It oh, was Atlantis, Great. I believe.
2: Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, but my heart, like, I was... Like, what it does is the... Certain days, the pounding gets to me more than others. Mm-hmm. And depends on, like, what I'm able to distract myself with or not. But the most annoying part is that sometimes when... Like my work as a science writer now especially is I have to sit at a computer and concentrate and write. And that's when it becomes like the most dominant thing. Of course. And so it's my ability to try and like figure suppress out the, that what sensation. What the BPM
3: is on your heart and so follow-up question to this. Yes. Once you figure out what the BPM is on your heart, why don't you organize your iTunes library by BPM, <laughs> match it, and then you're going to not notice well, it. doesn't it. sound you like you BPM write.
0: is her problem. It sounds like her problem
3: is the intensity it's of those BPM. But if you have your music up loud enough –
2: Possibly, hopefully,
3: that fades in the background. I
2: haven't gotten to the point as a writer where I can write to any type of music. Oh, really? Yeah,
3: get there. I know. I'm Hurry working up. on it. Hurry up! You can do it. On it. You can survive a heart surgery. You can fucking write <laughs> the music. Nothing.
0: <laughs> 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 are you kidding? All right, new goals. But I think I think so. What were but
2: so I couldn't participate. Basically, I was really bummed. And it really got to me because I was like, now this is preventing me from doing the things that I want to do.
0: How many broken hearts can you survive?
2: <laughs> exactly. So I'm just saying like that's another example of something I wrote about was how like my connection to Hubble and how I was frustrated that the heart was kind of getting in the way. But that I was realizing that there's more for me out there and there's still more for Hubble Boy, out there.
3: I, I cannot wait till you watch that episode of Star Trek. next generation. <laughs> Seriously. I'm very excited. You're going to love it. Because he finds out that the heart surgery that he thought was his burden all his life, yeah, actually made him Captain Fucking Picard. He gets to I see what his like life that. would have been like had like he not that. had to go through that
0: surgery. It's called yeah. tapestry. Did you bid on any of the Patrick Stewart auction? No, it was
3: far beyond my reach. Did everything go? Oh, I don't know. I didn't even check on results. Oh, gotcha. When was this recently? Couple, like, couple, like July early couple, July, July first, I think. Yeah, it's a couple like that, days
0: yeah. ago. Oh. Yeah, he, just, he auctioned off a shit ton of just memorabilia that he had, like full script sets from shows nice. and stuff like that. Um, I saw
2: him do Shakespeare once. Really? In D.C. Mm-hmm. He played Othello.
0: Well, uh, like him, yesterday he released a country album. <laughs> yep. Seriously? Yeah. Yep.
2: Oh, I think I saw a picture on Twitter that didn't make sense at the time. Now it does. Now it does.
0: Full country album for charity, but still, yeah. full country album cowboy songs with does
2: ian mckellen make an appearance
0: i don't I don't think he does i don't think he, i don't think he does That's possible oh, i don't wow. think he does though i think it'd be really great to Didn't fucking tell me that it wouldn't there wouldn't be like a great uh like golden tombstone with like patrick stewart as wyatt earp and ian mckellen as uh doc Holliday. <laughs> i'm your huckleberry be amazing <laughs> That would be amazing. I know Doc Holiday died before he became an old man, but let's just suspend our disbelief for a, a minute.
3: Well, you know, in the original series, they go to a planet and Doc Holiday is there. Don't worry about it. It's, I'm very worried about it. A,
0: so I think what we're taking away cool. from this, there's, there's a couple of actionables that people might have who are listening. Action items. Yes, action items, which is uh, number one. Um, if they are interested in figuring out how to... Get people, or particularly young people, or particularly uh, uh, women, or any or anyone, anyone. in science. I mean, yeah, uh, they should reach out to you.
2: Absolutely. On
0: Twitter, yeah. Are you Summer Ash on Twitter? Summer
2: underscore Ash.
0: Summer underscore Ash on Twitter. Um, they could also get information about going on any of these amazing stargazing trips at Columbia University. Um, they can uh, visit the fashion blog Startorialist. Torialist. Yes. They also, I guarantee you, there are survivors, there are surgery survivors out there who are probably like, oh my God, or I know someone who just
3: went through this. That remember, would be remember awesome. that girl at, the, at one of our live shows that said she had six open heart surgeries? <gasps> yes. Yeah. And then I said, which one was your favorite? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Was that Atlanta?
3: Uh, I mean, hopefully Atlanta, she still listens Boston. and maybe she should, she she, should reach out course, if she still listens. Did listening. she give an answer? Uh, She said the third one, I think. Wait. uh,
0: (laughs) It might have been Royal Oak, like Detroit. Oh, with just you and I when Jonah missed his flight. I feel like maybe it was that one. Classic Jonah. I feel like maybe it was that one. (laughs) But people should reach out to you because, uh, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't know where to go or who to talk to because that that whole process is so inhuman so you know having something or a forum or people to talk to to kind of guide through all the human parts of it to help deal with the the ptsd um i'm sure would i mean there must be something out there
2: yeah i hope so i mean i think it's also one of those things where you think that you're the only one right so it's helpful when you find other people that are
3: Going through the same thing. Let it's statistically impossible, particularly with the internet. Exactly. Well, I mean, if 1% of the population has.
2: Yeah, that too. I mean, there's a lot there's of
3: people. There's a lot of people. It, yeah. yeah, even if
0: you start kind of narrowing down who has internet and who's it, yeah. it's still yeah. going to be it's still a substantial a large number. in so the millions. Yeah, be a substantial number of people. So, if
2: anyone out there has a bionic heartbeat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, what is it? Please let me else, know. Anything else you want to promote or anything else you want to
2: let people know about? Uh, Well, actually, I already gave the story once, but I was going to tell you about my shirt that I'm wearing, even though this is a radio broadcast.
0: Is that Jane Goodall on your shoulder?
2: She, that is. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's a Mae Jameson in here somewhere. She's the first astronaut, uh, black astronaut. She was like 25. She's right there. Thank you very much. She loves
3: Star Trek. She is on the, she's She's uh, a, she guest starred. She's on a con. Is that Crystal McAuliffe?
2: Uh, possibly. Mm, there's Sally Ride no, is on Sally
3: here. Sally Ride.
2: Yeah. But basically, this up here. So there's this great story of how the shirt came to be. So there it's was... It's a shirt with
0: like a thousand... Fa- it's like it's black and white
2: but. with photoshopped heads of women scientists all over it. Yes.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot. It's a there's lot. There's a lot.
2: Front and back. Um, so it's called, it's called like that stem shirt or that other shirt. Mm-hmm. In reference to um, when the Rosetta mission, the one that ESA launched to the comet and then had the little Philae lander that mm-hmm. went down and landed on it, the morning of their first press briefing, one of the engineers wore a shirt that was slightly offensive to women in science.
3: Oh my God, that's right.
2: And but so so then on Twitter it was like that was that shirt. Oh right, in a not good way.
0: <laughs> that was the oh that that quote unquote, yeah.
2: That was like the hashtag. But what came out of it is that this other woman who was on Twitter, another um, woman in science, just did this you know a tweet where she had taken a picture of the broadcast and slapped these really poorly done photoshopped heads of women on it and was like fixed it. <laughs> and then everyone on Twitter was like, I would wear that. And she so was that's like, that really? shirt. So she did a Kickstarter for that other shirt.
0: That's And genius. they
2: make it in uh, tees for women and men, and they have a Hawaiian shirt version as well, button up. Um, and it comes with a little uh, book and a poster that gives a key to who all of the women are, and it tells you about their, their accomplishments in science.
0: That's fantastic. That's better. I, I bought one at the – I feel like it was the Flandra Science Center in Tucson, Arizona. That was like, it was a women in science shirt, but it it just, it just had a couple, it just had a couple of women in science. But this is, this is, must be hundreds.
2: Yeah. Which I think is uh, an awesome example of the fact that there's so many women out there in science who have done amazing things and had huge contributions to science that most people still don't know of. So there's so many more stories that need to be told.
0: What is the, what is one story that you still have left to be told? What do you want to do? oh wait what do you want to do like what do you want to what, what's, what's next on your what's next
2: on my list what's next
0: on your achievement list do you still have the oh, same that's...
2: well I've lo- been on the Nerdist now so that, now I can, can check, check that, that off. off
0: that was very easy do you uh, do you still have the same level of um, ambition that you had before or is is, is post bionic heart did that make you go you know maybe that's not the most important thing or did, it, did that make you go even harder
2: I think what it made me go harder towards is that I just want to help, uh, help other people struggling with things that I struggle with. So definitely getting more involved in, um, like PTSD, depression, suicide awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause I feel like those things are important and there's so much stigma attached to those. Um,
0: was that part of your struggle?
2: Not the suicide part, but I know basically depression unchecked can just lead to that. So what I recently did at the beginning of the month, there's uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And they do an overnight walk every year in two different cities. And I always wanted to do it because it's called like out of the darkness walk. Mm -hmm. So you literally walk all night. And so there was a 17 and a half mile walk through New York City. Um, And it's just an amazing community. And it was so well organized and such a great cause and so everybody has t-shirts and you write on the back like the reasons that you're walking and then there's luminaria at the finish line and everybody decorates them for either people that they know are struggling or people that they've lost um and i think that's going to be like a new annual tradition because i really liked when is that um next year it's always like may or june okay next year it's in san diego and dc okay this year was san francisco and new york got it Mm. um
3: i'd rather do new york much flatter (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. No, the flatness was really yeah, we go up Lombard Street. I
3: mean, I'd, go to, I'd do it in D.C. It's kind of flat there. Yeah,
2: just one hill.
3: But Capitol hill. San Diego's... San Diego's per- no, it's not. San it's Diego's not- it's a little hilly. You're going to walk 17 miles? You're telling me you're not going to hit some hills in San Diego? Well, yeah, uh, I know, but it's yeah. for a good cause, man. Yeah. Well, it's for a good I'll cause. do my good cause when it's flat. <laughs> okay.
2: They have snacks along the way.
3: Yeah, it's still not good enough.
2: <laughs> One of the stops had lollipops and tattoos.
3: No, no, was no, wasn't Sponge sticks? <laughs>
2: yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, I think what's more important to me is to just, like, make the world a better place, which sounds really cheesy. But I feel like through my little slice of it with helping to increase science literacy and then also for astronomy, like, just appreciation or... Um, spreading the awe like of the universe just because i feel like there's so much cool shit out there and i i think of it every time i look up so i came out of jpl last night and jupiter had already set but mars was sitting there and it was like you know as orange as that poster and it's just so freaking bright and i every time i do that like i send out a tweet and i'm like everybody go look up because um, i feel like people don't stop and sort of just like look around them and just like reflect on where we are
0: no our faces and our fucking phones
2: yeah um and and then, you know, like, help the people behind me. So, like, help the girls and the boys and whoever is interested in science and wanting to do cool stuff in ways that I can help them, like, achieve those goals. Um, I don't know. That's not very that's prosaic. The, I would say
0: that's a pretty great fucking goal, though. Yeah.
2: I just feel like it's more – it makes me happier. Like, it, writing makes me happy and especially, like, writing about things that other people – want to know about or ways that other people can think about things differently than they think about them now.
0: Well, sure. I that's mean, really satisfying rather to me. Than having a, rather than having a very, you know, that kind of linear career goal of like, I want to get more blah. You know, yeah. or, I want to achieve more blah for me. Yeah. Know, it's basically you wanting to achieve those things through the reflection of appreciation of science and other people. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty spectacular Because that can take so many forms, even even if you met one person when you leave here and you told them something and that changed their day, you could check the box that day. I made science better. I I made someone's life better through science immediately. And that doesn't require, you know, funding is nice, but that doesn't require, that's a very human way to approach science, which I think is a really great, you know, going back to the earlier discussions about taking a lot of the politics out and a lot of the all that bullshit and just making science a human endeavor, which of course it should be,
2: right? Which it is. It's done by humans, right. and Humans are for people. for humans, yeah, for humans.
0: Until we usher in the AI, until the robot overlords the Yeah, Absolutely, Good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're all on the same page about that.
2: But yeah, no, not my We had to do
0: that to kill the zombies, though. You know, we That's had to bring enough. about the robots exactly. to kill the zombies. Yeah. The zombies and were here we because the, the comet hit the Earth and brought that weird virus, so that created the zombies. So it's I see like a three, I see like a three pronged apocalypse, personally. <laughs> Maybe four if when the natural disasters happen after the comet hits and then the zombies come out and so the rest of us have to design the robots to fight the zombies but then the robots fight the zombies and realize that we're basically just chaff so um that Something. that'll happen yeah.
2: <laughs> you would have loved my little cousin who i'm saying with in pasadena she's at a theater camp this mm-hmm. summer yep and the end of the first week last friday was uh the theme was camp apocalypse mm-hmm so I helped her come up with her little outfit, which was basically, like, her soccer shin guards covered with tinfoil. And she made, like, wrist, wrist covers out of um, toilet paper rolls with, covered with tinfoil. And she had, like, this, like, wine box, like, that hung off of her that she could put her, like, snacks and gear in. And we wrote on it, like, are you ready for Camp Campocalypse? Fantastic. She was all over it.
0: So summer underscore ash on yes. Twitter. Um, and then defective heart girl problems.
2: Defective heart girl problems will get you there. And and it, almost twice a day when I can remember to do it or I'm in a place where um, I remember to tweet it. Basically, I do my biofeedback f- breathing and so I've changed the hashtag sometimes to defective heartgirl solutions.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice.
2: But I like tweet that for like my own accountability and also just to like keep raising awareness or you know, putting it out there. Uh, so either of those, I think people find the blog through those sometimes.
0: Well, I can't think you uh, enough for coming and being on the podcast and Star to And Star well. um, Thank you for being here, and it was really great meeting you and at uh, in New York on Neil's show. And
2: that was so much fun. Oh. No, thank you for having me because you 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 sort of threw it out there, and I was like, I'm I'm gonna lean into that. You should. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if he was serious, but I'm gonna yeah I'm no, gonna do that. I was... So I just kept emailing you, and then I'm like. Oh my God! It's gonna happen. This
0: is absolutely. Oh my this- God! I'm here now. This has happened. This has happened. Yeah, we well, had such an interesting story, and you had such a you had such a great, you know, what what really made me say like, oh, you should definitely come on the podcast. Is watching your excitement for science, and also just your vernacular and your sort of appreciation for pop culture, and then you know, of course, the bionic heart, and then all that stuff. Like, yo, oh, you'll be an amazing oh, guest, thanks. and and I, I have a feeling that you will help. Keep, you will help a percentage of people who are listening to this podcast. You will change their lives in some positive way. The 1%? Even if it's 1%, that is that is a non-zero number, <laughs> which is. but I feel like it'll be more than 1%. Non-zero is good. So uh, keep fighting the good fight. It is what it is. Enjoy your burrito. And uh, I can't go on. I'll go on.
2: Thanks,
3: Chris. All right.
0: Thank you, Summer Ash.
3: Enjoy your burrito. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. I'm just kidding.